Chapter Twenty Five of Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five Hollingford in a Bustle. All Hollingford felt as if there was a great deal to be done before Easter this year. There was Easter proper, which always required new clothing of some kind, for fear of certain consequences from little birds, who were supposed to resent the impiety of those who did not wear some new article of dress on Easter day and most ladies considered it wiser that the little birds should see the new article for themselves and not have to take it upon trust as they would have to do if it were merely a pocket-handkerchief or a petticoat or any article of underclothing so piety demanded a new bonnet or a new gown and was barely satisfied with an easter pair of gloves miss rose was generally very busy just before easter in hollingford then this year there was a charity ball ashcombe hollingford and coram were three neighbouring towns of about the same number of population lying at the three equidistant corners of a triangle in imitation of greater cities with their festivals these three towns had agreed to have an annual ball for the benefit of the county hospital to be held in turn at each place and hollingford was to be the place this year it was a fine time for hospitality and every house of any pretension was as full as it could hold and the flies were engaged long months before if mrs gibson could have asked osborne or in default roger hamley to go to the ball with them and to sleep at their house or if indeed she could have picked up any stray scion of a county family to whom such an offer would have been a convenience she would have restored her own dressing-room to its former use as the spare room with pleasure but she did not think it was worth her while to put herself out for any of the humdrum and ill-dressed women who had been her former acquaintances at ashcombe for mr preston it might have been worth while to give up her room considering him in the light of a handsome and prosperous young man and a good dancer besides but there were more lights in which he was to be viewed mr gibson who really wanted to return the hospitality shown to him by mr preston at the time of his marriage had yet an instinctive distaste to the man which no wish of freeing himself from obligation nor even the more worthy feeling of hospitality could overcome mrs gibson had some old grudges of her own against him but she was not one to retain angry feelings or to be very active in her retaliation she was afraid of mr preston and admired him at the same time it was awkward too so she said to go into a ballroom without any gentleman at all and mr gibson was so uncertain on the whole partly for this last given reason and partly because conciliation was the best policy mrs gibson was slightly in favour of inviting mr preston to be their guest but as soon as cynthia heard the question discussed or rather as soon as she heard it discussed in mr gibson's absence she said that if mr preston came to be their visitor on the occasion she for one would not go to the ball at all she did not speak with vehemence or in anger but with such quiet resolution that molly looked up in surprise she saw that cynthia was keeping her eyes fixed on her work and that she had no intention of meeting any one's gaze or giving any further explanation mrs gibson too looked perplexed and once or twice seemed on the point of asking some question but she was not angry as molly had fully expected she watched cynthia furtively and in silence for a minute or two and then said that after all she could not conveniently give up her dressing-room and altogether they had better say no more about it so no stranger was invited to stay at mr gibson's at the time of the ball but mrs gibson openly spoke of her regret at the unavoidable inhospitality and hoped that they might be able to build an addition to their house before the next triennial hollingford ball another cause of unusual bustle in hollingford this easter 
was the expected return of the family to the towers after their unusually long absence mr sheepshanks might be seen trotting up and down on his stout old cob speaking to attentive masons plasterers and glaziers about putting everything on the outside at least about the cottages belonging to my lord in perfect repair lord cumnor owned the greater part of the town and those who lived under other landlords or in houses of their own were stirred up by the dread of contrast to do up their dwellings so the ladders and whitewashers and painters were sadly in the way of the ladies tripping daintily along to make their purchases and holding their gowns up in a bunch behind after a fashion quite gone out in these days the housekeeper and steward from the towers might also be seen coming in to give orders at the various shops and stopping here and there at those kept by favourites to avail themselves of the eagerly tendered refreshments lady harriet came to call on her old governess the day after the arrival of the family at the towers molly and cynthia were out walking when she came doing some errands for mrs gibson who had a secret idea that lady harriet would call at the particular time she did and had a not uncommon wish to talk to her ladyship without the corrective presence of any member of her own family mrs gibson did not give molly the message of remembrance that lady harriet had left for her but she imparted various pieces of news relating to the towers with great animation and interest the duchess of menteith and her daughter lady alice were coming to the towers would be there the day of the ball would come to the ball and the menteith diamonds were famous that was a piece of news the first the second was that ever so many gentlemen were coming to the towers some english some french this piece of news would have come first in order of importance had there been much probability of their being dancing men and as such possible partners at the coming ball but lady harriet had spoken of them as lord hollingford's friends useless scientific men in all probability then finally mrs gibson was to go to the towers next day to lunch lady cumnor had written a little note by lady harriet to beg her to come if mrs gibson could manage to find her way to the towers one of the carriages in use should bring her back to her own home in the course of the afternoon the dear countess said mrs gibson with soft affection it was a soliloquy uttered after a minute's pause at the end of all this information and all the rest of that day her conversation had an aristocratic perfume hanging about it one of the few books she had brought with her into mr gibson's house was bound in pink and in it she studied menteith duke of adolphus george etc etc until she was fully up in all the duchess's connections and probable interests mr gibson made his mouth up into a droll whistle when he came home at night and found himself in a towers atmosphere molly saw the shade of annoyance through the drollery she was beginning to see it oftener than she liked not that she reasoned upon it or that she consciously traced the annoyance to its source but she could not help feeling uneasy in herself when she knew her father was in the least put out of course a fly was ordered for mrs gibson in the early afternoon she came home if she had been disappointed in her interview with the countess she never told her woe nor revealed the fact that when she first arrived at the towers she had to wait for an hour in lady cumnor's morning-room uncheered by any companionship save that of her old friend mrs bradley till suddenly lady harriet coming in she exclaimed why clare you dear woman are you here all alone does mamma know and after a little more affectionate conversation she rushed to find her ladyship who was perfectly aware of the fact 
but too deep in giving the duchess the benefit of her wisdom and experience in trousseaus to be at all aware of the length of time mrs gibson had been passing in patient solitude at lunch mrs gibson was secretly hurt by my lord's supposing it to be her dinner and calling out his urgent hospitality from the very bottom of the table giving as a reason for it that she must remember it was her dinner in vain she piped out in her soft high voice oh my lord i never eat meat in the middle of the day i can hardly eat anything at lunch her voice was lost and the duchess might go away with the idea that the hollingford doctor's wife dined early that is to say if her grace ever condescended to have any idea on the subject at all which presupposes that she was cognizant of the fact of there being a doctor at hollingford and that he had a wife and that his wife was the pretty faded elegant-looking woman sending away her plate of untasted food food which she longed to eat for she was really desperately hungry after her drive and her solitude and then after lunch there did come a tete-a-tete -tete with lady cumnor which was conducted after this wise well clare i am really glad to see you i once thought i should never get back to the towers but here i am there was such a clever man at bath a dr snape he cured me at last quite set me up i really think if ever i am ill again i shall send for him it is such a thing to find a really clever medical man oh by the way i always forget you've married mr gibson of course he is very clever and all that the carriage to the door in ten minutes brown and desire bradley to bring my things down what was i asking you oh how do you get on with the stepdaughter she seemed to me to be a young lady with a pretty stubborn will of her own i put a letter for the post down somewhere and i cannot think where do help me look for it there's a good woman just run to my room and see if brown can find it for it is of great consequence off went mrs gibson rather unwillingly for there were several things she wanted to speak about and she had not heard half of what she had expected to learn of the family gossip but all chance was gone for when she came back from her fruitless errand lady cumnor and the duchess were in full talk lady cumnor with the missing letter in her hand which she was using something like a baton to enforce her words every iota from paris every iota lady cumnor was too much of a lady not to apologize for useless trouble but they were nearly the last words she spoke to mrs gibson for she had to go out and drive with the duchess and the brougham to take clare as she persisted in calling mrs gibson back to hollingford followed the carriage to the door lady harriet came away from her entourage of young men and young ladies all prepared for some walking expedition to wish mrs gibson good-bye we shall see you at the ball she said you'll be there with your two girls of course and i must have a little talk with you there with all these visitors in the house it has been impossible to see anything of you to-day you know such were the facts but rose colour was the medium through which they were seen by mrs gibson's household listeners on her return there are many visitors staying at the towers oh yes a great many the duchess and lady alice and mr and mrs gray and lord albert monson and his sister and my old friend captain james of the blues many more in fact but of course i preferred going to lady cumnor's own room where i could see her and lady harriet quietly and where we were not disturbed by the bustle downstairs of course we were obliged to go down to lunch and then i saw my old friends and renewed pleasant acquaintances but i really could hardly get any connected conversation with any one 
lord cumnor seemed so delighted to see me there again though there were six or seven between us he was always interrupting with some civil or kind speech especially addressed to me and after lunch lady cumnor asked me all sorts of questions about my new life with as much interest as if i had been her daughter to be sure when the duchess came in we had to leave off and talk about the trousseau she is preparing for lady alice lady harriet made such a point of our meeting at the ball she is such a good affectionate creature is lady harriet this last was said in a tone of meditative appreciation the afternoon of the day on which the ball was to take place a servant rode over from hamley with two lovely nosegays with the mr hamley's compliments to miss gibson and miss kirkpatrick cynthia was the first to receive them she came dancing into the drawing-room flourishing the flowers about in either hand and danced up to molly who was trying to settle to her reading by way of passing the time away till the evening came look molly look here are bouquets for us long life to the givers who are they from asked molly taking hold of one and examining it with tender delight at its beauty who from why the two paragons of hamleys to be sure is it not a pretty attention how kind of them said molly i am sure it is osborne who thought of it he has been so much abroad where it is such a common compliment to send bouquets to young ladies i don't see why you should think it is osborne's thought said molly reddening a little mr roger hamley used to gather nosegays constantly for his mother and sometimes for me well never mind whose thought it was or who gathered them we've got the flowers and that's enough molly i'm sure these red flowers will just match your coral necklace and bracelets said cynthia pulling out some camellias then a rare kind of flower oh please don't exclaimed molly don't you see how carefully the colours are arranged they have taken such pains please don't nonsense said cynthia continuing to pull them out see here are quite enough i'll make you a little coronet of them sewn on black velvet which will never be seen just as they do in france oh i am so sorry it is quite spoilt said molly never mind i'll take this spoilt bouquet i can make it up again just as prettily as ever and you shall have this which has never been touched cynthia went on arranging the crimson buds and flowers to her taste molly said nothing but kept watching cynthia's nimble fingers tying up the wreath there said cynthia at last when that is sewn on black velvet to keep the flowers from dying you'll see how pretty it will look and there are enough red flowers in this untouched nosegay to carry out the idea thank you very slowly but shan't you mind having only the wrecks of the other not i red flowers would not go with my pink dress but i dare say they arranged each nosegay so carefully perhaps they did but i never would allow sentiment to interfere with my choice of colours and pink does tie one down now you in white muslin just tipped with crimson like a daisy may wear anything cynthia took the utmost pains in dressing molly leaving the clever housemaid to her mother's exclusive service mrs gibson was more anxious about her attire than was either of the girls it had given her occasion for deep thought and not a few sighs her deliberation had ended in her wearing her pearl-grey satin wedding-gown with a profusion of lace and white and coloured lilacs cynthia was the one who took the affair most lightly molly looked upon the ceremony of dressing for a first ball as rather a serious ceremony certainly as an anxious proceeding cynthia was almost as anxious as herself only molly wanted her appearance to be correct and unnoticed and cynthia was desirous of setting off molly's rather peculiar charms her cream-coloured skin her profusion of curly black hair 
her beautiful long-shaped eyes with their shy loving expression cynthia took up so much time in dressing molly to her mind that she herself had to perform her toilette in a hurry molly ready dressed sat on a low chair in cynthia's room watching the pretty creature's rapid movements as she stood in her petticoat before the glass doing up her hair with quick certainty of effect at length molly heaved a long sigh and said i should like to be pretty why molly said cynthia turning round with an exclamation on the tip of her tongue but when she caught the innocent wistful look on molly's face she instinctively checked what she was going to say and half smiling to her own reflection in the glass she said the french girls would tell you to believe that you were pretty would make you so molly paused before replying i suppose they would mean that if you knew you were pretty you would never think about your looks you would be so certain of being liked and that it is caring listen that's eight o'clock striking don't trouble yourself with trying to interpret a french girl's meaning but help me on with my frock there's a dear one the two girls were dressed and were standing over the fire waiting for the carriage in cynthia's room when maria betty's successor came hurrying into the room maria had been officiating as maid to mrs gibson but she had had intervals of leisure in which she had rushed upstairs and under the pretence of offering her services had seen the young lady's dresses and the sight of so many nice clothes had sent her into a state of excitement which made her think nothing of rushing upstairs for the twentieth time with a nosegay still more beautiful than the two previous ones here yeah, miss kirkpatrick no it's not for you miss as molly being nearer to the door offered to take it and pass it to cynthia it's for miss kirkpatrick and there's a note for her besides cynthia said nothing but she took the note and the flowers she held the note so that molly could read it at the same time she did i send you some flowers and you must allow me to claim the first dance after nine o'clock before which time i fear i cannot arrive r p who is it asked molly cynthia looked extremely irritated indignant perplexed what was it turned her cheeks so pale and made her eyes so full of fire it is mr preston said she in answer to molly i shall not dance with him and here go his flowers into the very middle of the embers which she immediately stirred down upon the beautiful shrivelling petals as if she wished to annihilate them as soon as possible her voice had never been raised it was as sweet as usual nor though her movements were prompt enough were they hasty or violent oh said molly those beautiful flowers we might have put them in water no said cynthia it's best to destroy them we don't want them and i can't bear to be reminded of that man it was an impertinent familiar note said molly what right had he to express himself in that way no beginning no end and only initials did you know him well when you were at ashcombe cynthia oh don't let us think any more about him replied cynthia it is quite enough to spoil any pleasure at the ball to think that he will be there but i hope i shall get engaged before he comes so that i can't dance with him and don't you either there they are calling for us exclaimed molly and with quick step yet careful of their draperies, they made their way downstairs to the place where Mr. and Mrs. Gibson awaited them. Yes, Mr. Gibson was going, even if he had to leave them afterwards to attend to any professional call. And Molly suddenly began to admire her father as a handsome man, when she saw him now in full evening attire. Mrs. Gibson, too, how pretty she was! In short, it was true that no better looking a party than these four people entered the Hollingford ballroom that evening. End of chapter 25